We are in our second installment of uh, the book of Jude. We're going to do four of them, and this morning we're looking at Jude, uh, well, there's only one chapter, and that's verses 17 to 21, and uh, if you'll stand, that'd be great. Just want to give a shout out uh, today to uh, the uh, ladies yesterday uh, and Friday night for the power conference to Joan and to Paulette and uh, to... um, Sue and to Carol just did a great job and we had a great time on Friday night and Saturday. 75 to 100 people there. Uh, we had a great time. So uh, well done, ladies. It was, uh, it was excellent. But uh, I'm reading the blue and uh, you're reading the uh, white. And our topic tonight is uh, today, this morning, is Jude. And the subtitle is The Antidote. And um, there we go. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last days there would be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Beautiful. Let's pray. Father, again, we pause and we are just uh, so grateful and so thankful for your love, grace, and mercy that you have exhibited so freely, so graciously, so hmm, extravagantly in, through, and as Jesus Christ. And then you gave us the Spirit so that everything that you accomplished in him could be applicable, could be possible and available in our lives. And Lord, today, we just pray that now for the help of the Holy Spirit, that you would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand, but particularly as your followers, as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, that as we leave this place today, and in our homes, and in our neighborhoods, and in our schools, and in our workplaces, and in the places where we get our services, that we would live out what it means to be fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. And we would do that in tangible, meaningful, practical ways. And so we ask all of this today in one name only, and his name is Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now Jude only has one chapter with 26 verses. And last Sunday, we got talking about uh, false teachers, certain people. I love that phrase. I don't know why it just gets me. Certain people. And so today, we want to pick up sort of where we left off last week. How many of you were here last Sunday? I'm taking attendance in my mind. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Hands down. How many of you were not? Okay, no problem. Uh, Hopefully, you watched online. If not, you may want to watch online sort of to get the continuity. Now, today, the first thing that Jude says to us in this text that we just read in verse 17 is that we are to remember. How many of you know what yesterday was? Thank you, thank you. Groundhog Day. Yesterday was Groundhog Day 2019, and the predictions are in. And the headline said, Groundhog predicts an early spring. It's not finished, but don't get too excited. He's usually wrong. Now, here's the deal on Wired and Willie. 
First of all, if he sees a shadow, it's six weeks to spring. If he does not see a shadow, it's a month and a half. Now, let me ask you, who came up? Who came up with the idea of a weather-predicting rodent? And who wants an early spring anyway, right? But more importantly, Jude says, he says, remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the question that we have is, what did Jesus' apostles actually predict? Well, let's begin with Jesus first. And Jesus said that there would come a time when there would be false prophets. He said they were ravenous wolves who would come to us in sheep's clothing. Paul had warned the Ephesian Christians that when he left, that fierce wolves would come in and they would destroy both the church and the truth. And then, of course, John, John who does not parse his words any more than Jesus or Paul, he says that these false teachers, they are antichrist. Pretty strong terminology. And then, of course, we know that Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses um, 3, verse, uh, sorry, 2 Peter 3, 3, Peter actually borrows the exact phrasing from Jude. And he quotes Jude. Matter of fact, did you know that there are nine parallels between what is written in the book of Jude and what is written in the book of 2 Peter? They're really worth reading side by side. Mark Twain said this. Mark Twain said, the difference between the right word and almost, the almost right word is the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. Now Jesus and Paul and John and Peter, they used the right words. Not just almost the right words, but the right words. And Jude says to us, that this is what they do, the scoffers. They follow their own ungodly passions. For false teachers, for scoffers, for mockers, their cause is simply themselves. They are the masters of self-promotion and guising it or disguising it as something other. They are masters of illusions, and they are twisters of words and of meanings. Now, Luke likes threes. And I like Luke because he likes threes. Matter of fact, every preacher likes Jude because he likes threes. And he uses this triad here, this three. He says, first of all, he says that these people, these scoffers, these mockers, these certain people, they are divisive. They create schisms. They cause divisions. They are unscrupulous hucksters. They are vile and they are unprincipled. And then he says they are worldly people. Now, worldly simply means what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, where he uses the natural person, where he talks about the fact that people that are non-believers, unbelievers, that are not Christians, they are natural people. That's what... 
Jude is trying to tell us here that they are worldly people. And then he adds to that and he says they are devoid of the spirit. Now, simply put, these scoffers, these mockers, these false prophets, they're simply not Christians. Paul says in Romans, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So, on the one hand, these scoffers, these people that Jude is talking about, they are not Christians. And it is evidenced by the fruit in their life, or rather the lack thereof of fruit in their lives. But I think that we should not be surprised. And that these people will come to fruition, that they'll rise to the surface. But I think the other thing that we need to keep in mind is that we shouldn't be surprised either when non-Christians do not act like Christians. And I think that we shouldn't expect non-believers to act like believers. I think that's unreasonable. But to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Now, here's some questions that I want to ask you that sort of links today with last week. Now put your seatbelt on because it's just going to get a little bit uncomfortable for a couple of minutes. So here's the questions. Have we, have you, have I, been attracted to or by false teachers? Have we been attracted to or by false prophets who teach what is sensual and deny who Jesus Christ is. Further, have we considered the possibility that we may have been led astray or can be led astray, that we are susceptible to being led astray by these false teachers, these scoffers, now, here it is. Here it is. What or who are we listening to and following on TV? Now, I told you it's going to look comfortable. We'll move on in a minute, and I'll ease your comfort level. Who or what are we listening to or following online, on the Internet? Are we listening to the Holy Spirit? Because we know that the Holy Spirit only leads into all truth. When we're watching someone or we're listening to someone and all of a sudden we have this thought, this, I don't know if it's a feeling, but this idea that goes through our minds, something's not right. 
Do we pay attention to that or do we just kind of blow it off and, and say, you know what, you know, who am I to second guess them? And, or do we just kind of think, well, you know, that's just me. And I'm saying to us that when we hear such things in our spirits, in our minds, a thought, an idea, the impression, whatever words we want to use to illustrate it or to explain it, when we sense those promptings, there's something just not right here Pay attention. It is most likely the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Don't blow it off. Get out your Bible and see if what that person is saying is actually lines up with what the Bible says. Now that leads us to this. You can relax now. The first thing that Jude says is remember. Now he doesn't say this, but this is how I'm saying it. The second thing he tells us is to remain. Remain. And he tells us to do four things. He says, first of all, he says build, pray, keep, and wait. This is the antidote to being deceived, of being lied to, duped, bamboozled, taken advantage of, fooled or frauded by false teachers and scoffers and mockers and false teachers and ravenous wolves that Jesus talked about. First of all, Jude says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now, it's interesting, the metaphor that he uses here is building. Of course, because we know that the church is described in other places in the New Testament as being a building, as being a temple of being built with lively stones. But do you see the irony here as well? Christians construct. Scoffers and mockers deconstruct. Christians build. Scoffers and mockers destroy. Christians support, but mockers and scoffers undermine. So how do we build ourselves up in our most holy faith? Well, let's begin with some clarity, first of all. First of all, there is what we call the faith, Now, the faith is what the church has believed for 2,000 years. This is what the church has practiced and believed for the last 2,000 years. This is what we refer to as Orthodox Christianity. That's the faith. But there is also our faith, or as Jude says it, your faith. Our faith is a faith that applies to me and you personally. It's my faith, it's your faith, it's our faith. Now, the faith and our faith are not necessarily or always the same things. And here's the thing. Our faith, yours and mine, your faith, as Jude says it, must align with the faith. And if our faith does not align with the faith, 
then there is something that is wrong. We have a problem. Because we know that there is not two Christianities. There is only one Christianity. There is only one faith. There's not two. Paul says in Ephesians, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But there's also this. If we are listening to or following or are drawn to those whose teaching and preaching does not align with what the church has taught and practiced for the last 2,000 years, then they fit into the category of what Jesus, Paul, and John, and Peter, and Jude talk about. They are false teachers. They are false prophets. They are ravenous wolves. They are antichrist. They are mockers, and they are scoffers. So let's go back to our question. How do we build ourselves up in the most holy faith? Now, our, the answer may surprise us because Jude gives us another triad, another three things that he says, not four, sorry, three things that he says. He says, first of all, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, in my journey, in my journey, in my faith journey, personally, God has used a man, and you know this, by the name of Eugene Peterson, who just recently died, to help me see prayer, praying in the Spirit in a larger, more holistic way. So Peterson says this. He says first that prayer is basic because it provides the primary language for everything that takes place on the way of Jesus. Now, he goes on to say, and I didn't put this in your notes, he says that if we go to a shopping mall in North America, we speak English to get what we want. If we go to a restaurant in France, we speak French in order to place our order. If we travel to Greece, we speak Greek in order to get to the Acropolis. And he says, if we decide to become Christians and follow Jesus, then we pray. He says, we pray because it is the only language that we have for speaking to God revealed in Jesus. It is the only language we have for listening to the commands and the blessings and the guidance that God provides through Jesus. When language has to do with God and us, and us and God, it's called, or we call it, prayer. And then he adds this. He says, what I, what I want to insist on is that prayer is not something that is added onto the Christian life. We can't put off prayer until we get good at it. It is the only language available to us as we bring our unique empathy yourselves just as we are without one plea into the daily hourly speaking and listening to God who comes 
just as he is in Jesus. And then he concludes, this praying is in large part the Spirit praying in us. And then there's this. What do we mean when we talk about praying in the Holy Spirit? What does praying in the Holy Spirit actually look like? How do we do it? How do we pray in the Holy Spirit? Well, I've given you seven things that I think that what praying in the Holy Spirit means. Well, praying in the Holy Spirit means, first of all, it means, first and foremost, is praying in conjunction with and agreement with the will and the purposes of God. In other words, every time we pray in the Spirit, we pray according to the will and the purposes of God because the Holy Spirit can only and always pray the purposes and the will of God. Now that's why praying in tongues is so effective. Because when I pray in tongues, it is my brain, it is my voice, it is my vocal cords, it's my throat, it's my mouth that is doing the saying, but is the Holy Spirit that's doing the praying because speaking in tongues, the tongues are given as words via the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul means when he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful because only the Spirit of God knows what's being prayed. And the Spirit of God only prays in conjunction and agreement with the purposes and the will of God. Now, but, and this is very important. This is very important. Praying in the Holy Spirit cannot, should not be, and is not limited to praying in tongues. Let me say it again. Praying in the Holy Spirit cannot and should not be and is not limited to praying in tongues. So praying in the Holy Spirit means praying with confidence, knowing that the Spirit has given us faith in Christ which makes us God's people. Praying in the Holy Spirit means praying under the direction and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit prays for us. Praying in the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit prays through us. And this is what Paul said in Romans where he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And sometimes that's in tongues and sometimes it's not. Praying in the Spirit means praying with confidence, knowing that the Spirit knows what to pray for when we do not quite know what to pray for. And praying in the Holy Spirit means having confidence, knowing that there is no limit to God's power to use us, to love us, to hear us, to meet us and our needs and the needs of others. Now, there are more, I'm sure, to this list and that, are, that I haven't even thought about because my brain 
is just too finite and too puny to describe everything that is involved in praying in the Holy Spirit. And the next thing Jude tells us is he says to keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, somebody said that the love of God is like the sun. It's always shining. Right? And sometimes there are things that come between us and the sun of God's love where his direct sunlight can no longer beam down on us. But remember, and this is important, that the love of God is always, always, always beaming down on us. Always. Did you get that? Always. It never stops. It is always beaming down on us. Now, every now and then, um, some things come in the way of God's love, the sunlight of God's love beaming down on us. One of those things are clouds. Now, clouds are not necessarily bad, so with every illustration, you can't take it too far, but we have clouds of doubt and difficulty and pressure and stress, and sometimes it can block out. And the only other thing that blocks out the sun, of course, is night. Now, night is not necessarily a bad thing, of course, but in the context of what you're, we're using, and as an illustration, I think we're all smart enough to see, that night can represent sin. For example, when I sin, my sin blocks out the light of God's love that continually beams down toward me. For example, Paul says, or rather, David says in the Psalms, he says, if I had cherished iniquity, if I had cherished sin in my heart or kept sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. And of course, sin is problematic because it blocks the sun of God's love. But there's also this. Now, remember what I told you. Always. That God's love constantly beams down on us. His mercy and his peace and his grace and his love constantly beams down upon us. This is what Jeremiah says in the Lamentation, and most of us will recognize this. That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It does not turn off and on. It does not get dim, it never ceases. And his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So I woke up this morning at five o'clock and went to my place where I pray and one of the things that I do is the first thing I do is I journal and one of the things that I journaled this morning is Lord, I thank you for bringing me to this new day. And I thank you that with this new day comes new mercies, but Lord, I haven't exhausted the mercies from yesterday yet. But they're over. Right? It's daily bread. It's daily bread. And so I got a whole whack of new mercies today. So did you. And they never cease. They never come to an end because they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
But you may ask, then why is it that I'm not blessed? Well, let me just qualify that. I think that's an interesting question, and I think that we are blessed, just not in the way that we would have hoped we were or that we think we should. But folks, ladies and gentlemen, we are a blessed people. But I think you know what I mean. Why am I not blessed? Why, why not? When I was a kid, which is a long time ago, um, not as long as some of you, so no snickering, please, but longer than some of you, so you can snicker. A long time ago when I was a kid, the generation before me used to have a line. And the line that they sort of used to kind of pull this all together was this one. Get under the spout where the blessing comes out. Now, that's old, but that's cute, isn't it? Like, that's really cute, isn't it? Well, that's what the generation before me used to say, and there's a truth in it. And so the question that I have for us this morning, is it possible, is it possible that one of the reasons why we are not blessed is because we're not under the spout where God's blessings come out? Remember now, God never turns the faucet off because he's faithful. The faucet is on all the time. Sure, there are lean times and thin times in all of our journeys, which God allows, because it develops perseverance and patience and love, and we, these are times of growth and maturity and discipleship for all of us. But let me ask you a question. And ask yourself this question, am I under the spout? where God's blessings come out? Am I keeping myself in the love of God? Or are there things that are in the way of God's love beaming down toward me? Is it being blocked by the cares of life, the good things of life, or even the negative things, sin? Am I under the spout where God's blessings come out? Or is there a blockage? I can't answer that for anybody. Only for myself. And then the final piece. Jude says, waiting. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, Jude loves threes. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keeping yourselves in the love of God the Father and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, the triune triad, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if you're anything like I am, waiting is one of the most unpleasant things in your life. And there are, I think, well, probably a bunch more, but two that I want to focus on. There's what I call as Christians the distant waiting. Now, it could be tomorrow, but it's distant at the moment. Waiting is about expectation, an expectation that is distant and that is immediate. Our distant hope is the coming of Jesus Christ. 
And there's lots to be said there. Uh, Titus says these words, waiting, or rather Paul says to Titus, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of, our, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again. Right? And uh, <clears throat> we don't know when. Uh, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 10 years from now. It could be 100 years from now. But I tell you, if we really love people, if we really want to see people come to faith in Christ, then we hope that he tarries for a long, long time. But who knows? And then there's what I call the immediate waiting. Current, present. What are we waiting for? What are you waiting for from God? What am I waiting for from God? And how long have you been waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ? How long have you been waiting for that one prayer to be answered? How long have you been waiting for that loved one to give their heart and life to Christ? How long have you been waiting for that need to be met? How long? I'm going to invite the musicians to come. And uh, they're going to lead us in a song and we're going to share communion together today. But one of the things that stands out in the communion text is this. Jesus says, and we'll read it in a moment, Jesus says that we are to do these things until he comes. That's the distant waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming again, and we are to do this until Jesus comes. That's one. But as you're receiving that today, and as we're thinking about the distant waiting, I also want you to Hold intention, your immediate waiting. What are you waiting for? Who are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? How long have you been waiting?